Every business needs a CFO or a family needs a CFO, someone that's in charge that can say no. And um, I guess my point is though, but that that's thinking like an owner investor and you did the single most important action, which is you're physically removing money from one account to another account. And that is the only way that you will ever create reserves or that you'll ever create money that will be available for further investment. You know, I always use the, um, the example you know, how much money are in 401k plans right now in, in, in our country? And I think the number, last time I checked, it could be more than this. It's like $7 trillion, hmm. right? I mean, it's an enormous amount of money. Why? Because it is physically removed from someone's paycheck, right? And that is the successful action of why uh, it, it seems to work. Now, people can argue about, you know, 401k plans all day long. But um, but that action is what creates, you know, the, the money to get set aside. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Eric Miller. He's a financial planner, financial advisor, financial guru for uh, healthcare owners and practice owners. We talked about being an owner investor. It was a great conversation. I haven't talked to Eric since 2020, but I always have a great time and picking his brain and trying to get understand the way he thinks. So please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. I want to discuss the MyDay Toric contact lens for a minute. When I'm reaching for a daily lens for my patients, I need to know that it will be available in the parameters I want, and it also needs to work. This improves my chair time and my patient satisfaction. The MyDay Toric lens features the same optical lens design features as the most prescribed monthly replacement Toric lens on the market, the Biofinity Toric. MyDay Toric now completely mirrors Biofinity Toric's parameter range. And to be clear, this means that if you can find a parameter in the Biofinity Toric, you can find it in the MyDay Toric. This Toric lens design is multifaceted to ensure optimal visual acuity, lens stability, fit, and comfort. Its uniform horizontal ISO thickness and wide ballast band quickly orient the lens for better performance and simplified fitting processes. When prescribing MyDay contact lenses, you can feel confident about your environmental impact because for every MyDay contact lens sold in the United States, Cooper Vision's partner, Plastic Bank, collects and converts an equal amount of ocean-bound plastic through their global network. The MyDay Multifocal and MyDay Toric contact lenses will provide your patients with great vision quality and comfortable lens experience, all while making a difference in our environment. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay Multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your Cooper Vision representative to get started. My patients with macular degeneration want clear and succinct recommendations from me related to products and solutions that can benefit their long-term ocular health and vision. To do this for my patients, I need to be confident that what I'm recommending will have a benefit to them. And that's why my supplement of choice is MacuHealth. MacuHealth is specifically formulated and clinically proven to rebuild and maximize macular pigment over a lifetime. This results in enhanced visual performance and aids in the treatment and prevention of age-related macular degeneration. 
I've discussed carotenoid absorption on this podcast with Dr. Nolans and Stringham, and MacuHealth uses a patented process called micromycel technology. And this technology is clinically proven to increase carotenoid concentrations at the target tissue and deliver the highest level of bioavailability studied to date. MacuHealth has been great for my patients. We really feel like we have the ability to help those patients in all categories of Macu degeneration. If you're not utilizing MacuHealth for your patients, check it out for yourself by contacting your MacuHealth representative. Basically, in my basement, um, I've got this area by the sump pump that uh, I don't know if I showed you last time you were here, but where this was all getting built. But mm-hmm. now, um, now it was just a totally empty space. And uh, so me and my buddy, uh, I haven't done like manual labor like that. Like, you know, I clean up the yard, I fix things around the house, that kind of thing. But like actually like building something like that from brand new outside of doing like uh, landscaping stuff. I haven't done that since I was in optometry school and we renovated our house. And, um, and man, it's, it was, it's been really fun to do. Yeah. Really. There's, fun so, to do. there's something about like that kind of work that just makes you feel it just extroverts you. I think it just kind of like, you don't, you're not thinking, you know, cause when you're running a business and all these other things, you have to deal with people's emotions and, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, human interaction. But when you're just dealing with stuff, you know, it just, it, I think it's a little bit different. Um, but that's great, man. Did you, yeah, like, so are, you, are you like, are, are you hooked now? Are you going to like start building other th- after this is no. done? Or are you going to like, no, <laughs> no, you know, it's taken, I think we started. So we, the, the, the really, the thing that made me do it, I would not have done it is, so there was a couple of things I've never done before. Like I didn't do the drywall. I, I paid somebody to do the drywall. That's too, like, I know enough to know that I could spend days and weeks trying to sand that down and redo it and sand it down and redo it. So, um, but, but I wouldn't have done the, um, the studs, like I wouldn't have known how to like the importance of lining those up square Mm -hmm. and level is so important. Um, and so I have a buddy that I work out with that, uh, he's actually an it at a big, um, financial company kind of, um, management and it, and he did it in college and he's like, he's fast. Like he's, he's way faster than I am, but he's also like a perfectionist, which is exactly what you need for that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's been fun. And and in learning like the, the electricity, like it's not that hard. I mean, uh, I mean, I've done electrical stuff before, but really like wiring it all from, from scratch and then running all the mic cables through the walls and all the HDMI cables and everything that I could possibly want is now in there. And so then it's just been fun of like, like, you know, um, okay, troubleshooting how I'm going to get the wiring where I want it. So when I hit this switch, the studio lights come on. Yeah. And then actually I put even like a red light on the door outside. So like when it's on dad's recording, so everyone, you know? everyone knows. Right. Yeah. So how so did, you, did you have it all mapped out? I mean, did you like design it and then said, this is what I want. And then from there, just kind of structure it and build it from there. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm hoping that the next, uh, I'm hoping the next one I do, I'll be able to do a live one. And, and that's the other reason is that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of optometrists, I, I will have some conversations with other optometrists in Nebraska Dude. and they will yeah. do it physically. But, um, but I have conversations with other people that are local and I'm just excited to be able to do like a couple times a month, a live in-person one. And it'll be a nice space. It'll be a quiet space. And yeah, so I did map it all out and, and, uh, and it'll be, it's just been fun to do. 
Well, yeah, the background looks good. We kind of did something similar to, to, to here. Yeah, it looks I mean, great. It, it, it looks, uh, it is kind of fun to create this. It's, um, but it is, it's a lot more work than what I think people realize. It's not just hooking up a microphone and talking to people, you know, it's so. got, you got to be consistent. So, so you last time, I think you guys were building this new studio that you're in right now. And I think last time you were just in front of a black curtain. Is that right? Probably. And, you know, quite honestly, we just, um, you know, I'd start, we did some other, other things, but I didn't really get serious about like actually we're doing the whole Riverside FM and, you know, we hired a group actually, I think the same group that connected you with, with, um, yep. Uh, with, with us, uh, Jeremy and, you know, he just, I mean, he just knows how to do podcasts, like really, really professional. So I was like, all right, well I just hired him to help with the production. And so we started doing that. Now I'm kind of doing what you're doing right now. I'm just, um, I'm interviewing practice owners and, and other people in the, in the, in the healthcare industry, uh, and doing it, you know, like this, but every once in a while we have, I have, I have, I can have guests come in locally cause we're in Clearwater, Florida. And I mean, who doesn't want to visit here? Um, and you know, we can bring, you know, people in locally and, and kind of do what you're talking about, like actually having in-person conversations and, um, that's fun too. Yeah. Do you find that to be an easier conversation or a harder one to manage? Oh, way harder. Really? In oh, person? Yeah, yeah man. I, this is this is awesome, just like this. You know? <laughs> I don't know why. But when I'm because mm. I'm worried, you know, how do I look? Do I look fat? You know, am I is my shirt tucked <laughs> in? You know, like like should I should I be crossing my legs? Um, you know, is the is the angle good? You know, I'm not worried about how it looks because it's really comfortable and, and, but it, I, there's just other things that I guess are, are part of it that make me get my attention off of it sometimes. So I don't know that, uh, how many guests have you done in studio? Uh, Any, you know, I think my best ones are in studio, so I don't know yeah. you probably don't listen regularly, but there was, there's, um, well, actually, as far as my favorite, so yeah, heard, I'll just say yeah. this right away. As far as far as my favorite episodes go, you are yeah. one of my favorite episodes, and so actually, Brother, I wanted let's to do start it again. This then, let's yeah. like, let's no, do no, it no. again. <laughs> yeah, the the um the the thing I want to, I'd love to basically kind of make you a a regular, especially now that you're podcasting. Uh, you probably get some additional benefit, and I'd love to make you a more regular guest. You don't have to wait to reach out. You can text me. Um, okay. You know, and, but I'll probably just need to text you and kind of put it on the schedule because you got so many things to talk about. But 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 the in person stuff is what I really like, and so there. So you're one of my favorite guests. Obviously, we didn't do that in per- person, but probably my it's still top five. Joe Schaffner. Uh, I it's a it's an episode called Get Jedi'd. And man, like get I still Jedi. get I still get uh, goosebumps when I think about it. But it was all in person, and he's got this great podcasting voice. And uh, I mean, it just was it like was really great. deep. And uh, is it yes. like a, one of those like authoritative? Sounds like, oh God, yeah. He has pause for effect. You know, I mean, it's what? it's wonderful. What did I'm curious now? Get Jedi. That that sounds like a little bit more than just you know. Let's not talk about mechanics. Let's talk about kind of like you know, the force, you know, he was talking. I mean, the, the intro portion, uh, we had a conversation was mainly about F3, how he found his way to F3. And he was essentially just describing, um, he was in the parking lot. F3 F3? is a fitness group. Fit stands for fitness, fellowship, and faith. It's it's a nationwide, um, men's only workout group. It's free. Really? 
Yeah, it's open to all men. We It's always outside, and there's really no catches. Honestly, it would blow your mind. I got to send you a book. Actually, I'm going to yeah. send you a book. Uh, I'll send you a book, and you can read it. But anyway, I'm sure actually in Clearwater, I would bet if you Google F3 Clearwater, you will find it. Um, it's been amazing. I started doing F3 probably two months after our last conversation. And yeah. I, I'll tell you, I didn't know I needed it. And I can't, it's been a great thing, man. I feel like I just read Dianetics. <laughs> really? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm yeah. totally kidding about that part, but it's been great. It's been great. Well, I've read Dianetics so many times. It's such a great book. If you ever read it. <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah. So, um, no, it's, uh, anyway, so it's, um, yeah. So you got to look it up because I'm sure they have yeah. a group in Clearwater. I will check it out, man. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so anyway, but he was telling me how he got, um, he, he called it, I got Jedi, you know, so he got, um, you know, like, uh, emotional headlock, you know? So mm -hmm. that's what, uh, that's what kind of locked him into the group. And he was just walking out of a grocery store and a guy that saw him, that it knew him through his wife, like a couple of years before they just were basically like people that you might pass somebody and be like, I recognize that guy. And this guy was in his truck and said, Hey, what are you? And he said, Hey, Joe, what's going on? How are you? And he was kind of like, Hey man, what's going on? And he goes, and so he just, you know, he started up a conversation, how things going? And he goes, what are you doing tomorrow morning? Well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Why don't you come work out with me? And like, and he goes, he goes, that was it. I was Jedi. And now, and that's uh -huh. why I titled it that, you know, but anyway, like uh, you, you got to listen to it, man. It is a phenomenal, if, if, if you don't even Google anything about F3, listen to that episode. It will. it will hook you. Yeah. I'll check it out for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. His name's, jo his name's, uh, Joe, Joe uh, Schaffner, Joe Schaffner. Yeah. It's like a, that's like a, it's like a good American. Oh yeah. Uh, Joe Schaffner. Hey, yeah. my buddy, Joe Schaffner. I like that name. <laughs> You'll check it, it out. Yeah, yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah, L listen, listen, Eric. I, I, uh, I could do this for a long time with you. I, um, I know. But, but we probably, I do want to be respectful of your time as well. So, tell me, you know, you know, one of the reasons that we've had John before, uh, and and if I'm thinking back to what I really enjoyed about our conversation was I learned things about you know the financial aspects of being a business owner that I didn't know before. You know, and and it is actually kind of that type of stuff over the last three years has become increasingly important in my practice is what is the va the the value of the practice not not just the, to give me a job or to give other people a job which is certainly important but there's all these other values of of a practice and and you write a lot about that and so that's what I was hoping we could discuss today is like how do you look at your business as a a machine that generates wealth um, in ways that are both, um, obvious, right. In terms of, I put money in a bank account, but also non-obvious to a lot of people, unless you're really thinking about them is that, well, I have all these other areas where, um, I can, I have advantages from a tax standpoint, from an investment standpoint, where other people don't have those same advantages. And so actually, I think this applies to even a greater uh, discussion. I, I had a conversation with a buddy from F3 um, this week, and he's, you know, he's, he's working. He's an employed guy. He's kind of a blue-collared guy, but he has aspirations. And he works hard, and he has aspirations for doing that for himself. And I said, his name is Bouncer. I said, Bouncer, 
this is a no-brainer, man. <laughs> like you've got to. No, his nickname. His nickname. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Uh, and I said, this is a no-brainer, man. You you just got to branch out on your own. Like you just got to yeah. just do it. I said, I said, I promise you, in six months, you'll you'll never look back. I mean, the amount of money you have to generate every month is is not that much. You know, your risk. I said, I was like, let's play this out. You know, if everything goes wrong, like what's your risk? If everything totally goes wrong, what are you out? And I think I, I hope I sparked a little bit of fire there, but but that's yeah. what I wanted to discuss today. Let's do it. Yeah, I like that. It's um yeah. yeah, we can talk, you know, I think this is the this is the fatal flaw uh of you know most healthcare owners is when they look at well, you know, I'll just we can we can talk about that as we go. You know, it's the yeah, fatal yeah, flaw. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's it's the you know, there's a there's a big difference between you know owning a healthcare practice and then actually having financial success as a practice owner. There's a difference between the two because I've seen many people that have owned practices but yet have not really got to enjoy any of the fruits of their labor or um, have gotten to enjoy the benefits of that. And it's primarily the reason that I've seen, and you know, this is just over 15 years of observing and talking to practice owners over that period of time is that they they learned they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on how to be an awesome practitioner right i mean you went to school to to learn the trade and you learned you know all of those things and they spend almost no time learning how to be a great owner investor and you're you're not going to make it financially unless you adopt an owner investor mindset uh, and kind of get away from just always thinking about the practitioner role that you have. And that's been my contention, you know, over time, because when you start thinking of an owner investor mindset, I start thinking about, okay, this practice is not a job. It's an investment. How do I max get maximum value from that investment? And that just doesn't mean money, right? It could mean time. It could mean recognition. It could mean acknowledgement. It could mean tax benefits. Like you had mentioned, you know, it's a lot of things that, that you can recognize from it, but you have to think like an owner investor. How do you assess whether or not, because I don't know if I am, <clears throat> honestly, I, I think you I are. might be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, you are. But, um, but how would you assess? So you don't, I mean, we know each other a little, Yeah. but, but you can, you can already see that you, in your opinion, you think that that's the case for me. So what do you look for? when you see the difference between, you know, an owner who just has a job versus mm -hmm. an owner who is an owner investor, what are the kind of key metrics that you, or the key indicators that say, Chris Wolf, he's an owner investor, you know, Joe Bob, he's a employed doctor that happens to own his business. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I'll definitely take a look at is how they compensate themselves. Okay. So you will see that right away when I'm talking to a practice owner. I'll have the first question I'll ask them, how much do you pay yourself? Well, you know, I pay myself a salary of, you know, $120,000. I go, what else? Right. That's your practitioner pay. Do you pay yourself anything else? Like, well, you know, I may take out a draw every once in a while if it's available, but you know, that, that, that's pretty much it. I'm talking to a, I'm talking to someone that is still stuck in the practitioner role. Mm. Okay. So mm. they're not thinking like an, an, an owner investor because an owner investor is going to say, okay, all right, I have my role as my practitioner. I'm going to pay myself whatever I would pay myself for the production that I do. But I also have this role as an executive because I have to run this thing and I'm there to, you know, organize and manage people. And, you know, I have to make sure that the organization is, is functioning and, 
you know, and even if I hire a practice manager, I st I'm still the CEO and I still have mm -hmm. to run the finances to the degree. Right. So why I got to get compensated for that. And what, what am I paying myself anything? And then I'm an owner, right? Like I took a risk <laughs> to put this practice here. If this thing goes to hell in a handbasket, if I get sued, if I have a rogue employee that sues me for some reason, if I have a, a regulatory body that comes in and says, uh-uh-uh, you shouldn't have done that, you know, and you're, we, we need $200,000 right now, who are they going to come after? They're not going to come after the techs. They're not going to come after the front desk people. They're going to come after me. So I have to understand the risk that I'm taking as a, as a, as a practice owner. And, you know, not only that, but look, you, you have multiple associates right now. You have other practitioners in your, mm -hmm. yeah. okay. Just, just so, one, we lost one. She, she moved for love to yeah. San Diego. God and dang it. I can't blame her. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was she, was she producing for you guys pretty well? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, you know, what happened to the value of your business the, when she left? I mean, that yeah, production's... We had to, it's totally right. I mean, we've had to take over, you know, between the other, between me and the other doctor, we've had to, you know, take over those patients and, and yeah. try to keep producing. Yeah. Now, if you, now, for God forbid, you lose the other one. I mean, yeah. the, the value of your practice goes from right here to right here. I'm trying to remember the stats of what a good producing optometrist is worth in value to the enterprise. It's over a million dollars, you know, and if you, I mean, so you can see like it can, it can precipitously drop right away. So you're yeah. taking a monumental amount of risk. Okay. So there's gotta be a mechanism in place where you're getting compensated for that, for that risk. You know, there's been a, um, if I'm talking too much, just let me know. No, um, no, no. I'm going to let I'll you ran on this, but, um, you know, there's obviously there's been a, a lot of, um, um, uh, corporate buying of optometry practices. I'm sure you've seen them. I'm sure you've been approached by that. And, mm -hmm. um, and we're starting to see more of these, you know, private equity groups come into play. And, you know, it was interesting because, and it's happening in all the healthcare industries, but the, the first thing that they'll do um, when they acquire practices, like the first, like if they bought your practice, right, the first expense that they would take out would be a 10% management fee that would go directly to the parent company, right? And you're like, why do they do that? Okay, because they understand that this thing is an investment and we need to make sure we're getting our money back for this, all right? So to, co to kind of circle back what you were talking about is that every owner has to make sure that they are um, incorporate some kind of owner compensation for themselves that goes directly to their family unit, their household, all right? Because your your family unit is the parent company and your business is simply a subsidiary asset of your parent company, which is your household. And I wish more people would think like that, but it's Why, so- Well, how many people do you encounter? So to me, I think it's just kind of logical. Like when, you know, um, we didn't do this until probably the last- few years, actually since COVID. Um, but we would, we would be more reactionary. You know, one of my friends, um, Dr. Mick Kling, he is, yeah. oh, he's talked about profit first. And, and so I, we did a little bit of profit first when I first learned about it from him. 
but um, this was that was years ago, even before COVID. But then since COVID, I really made it a point to do exactly what you're talking about is that, you know, on a weekly basis, not even on a monthly basis. No, definitely. I not. pay myself. I, I take money from the from the uh, the operating account and it goes right into uh, a savings account. And that savings account is is mine, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's kind of a what I, what I like to do is I take it from the operating account into what, what I call my profit account. And that's, you know, owner profit. And yep. it's a certain percentage every single week. And, um, and then, uh, then I kind of hold it there and I like to mm -hmm. hold it there psychologically for a little, yeah. for, for one reason. One is I'm still in the back of my mind. I, I remember what happened during COVID. Yeah. So I kind of like having something that's, that's pretty liquid there in case, but that's not what it's really for. Then, then the other reason I hold it there is because if I put it in my own personal bank account, then it's real. Right. And it's and real. So it's like, yeah. And then I've got it. Then I'm like, oh, I got this extra money. I got a lot of money here. Okay. Well, but I don't. I, and so that's just a psychological barrier for me to be like, well, it's just one step away. I know yeah. I have it, but I won't, I'll be less likely to spend money if it's sitting in that account. So anyway, that's, that's kind of the psychological stuff that I've done, but, but we've been way more purposeful since yeah. COVID than before that. But, but how often do you see Owner practitioners? Investor. Exactly. Yeah. Owner investor, right? Yeah. Owner investor. Owner investor knows that if you do not assign money a purpose, then it will eventually go everywhere and the, mm -hmm. the organization will eventually consume it all, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what organizations do. Organizations, and this isn't just um, regulated to like uh, businesses, it's countries, it's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's, it's families at large, right? And look, I mean, look at look at how we run the the nation's finances, right? Yeah. It's it is run by committee, and committees are insane when it comes to running finances. It's a one person job, okay. Mm -hmm. And once you once you kind of grasp that, that's why every business needs a CFO or a family needs a CFO, someone that's in charge that can say no. And um, I guess my point is though, but that that's thinking like an owner investor, and you did. The single most important action, which is you're physically removing money from one account to another account. And that is the only way that you will ever create reserves or that you'll mm -hmm. ever create money that will be available for further investment. You know, I always use the, um, the example, you know, how much money are in 401k plans right now in, in, in our country? And I think the number last time I checked, it could be more than this. It's like $7 trillion dollars. Right. I mean, it's an enormous amount of money. Why? Because it is physically removed from someone's paycheck. Right. And that is the successful action of why uh, it, it seems to work. Now, people can argue about, you know, 401k plans all day long. But um, but that action is what creates, you know, the, the money to get you know, set aside. And I just think that's what a good owner investor does. That's one action that they do. Yeah. So so that's. That's very helpful. Um, what and, and I'm just surprised that more people don't do that. You actually encounter a lot of business owners that don't. Oh God! Um, really, Christopher, you would you would be amazed at the level mm -hmm. of um, the lack of financial training and 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 I get it because look, yeah, I mean, I you, you you went to school and and no one and. And unfortunately, and I think we got a survey like by this is that most people are taking advice 
not from um, people like me, people like you that know what they're doing. They're taking advice from their accountants. They're taking advice from advisors who really don't specialize in business ownership, right? They're just kind of, I mean, they're mm -hmm. retirement plan advisors. Mm -hmm. they're, and I think what ends up happening is that most of those people aren't trained to understand how to be good owner investors as well, right? And it's especially CPAs is the one that I'm like, and I, and I love having a good CPA and they're awesome. And, and you know, it's important to have one. I don't, and I'm not a CPA, so I don't want to like discount the fact that you need one. But unfortunately, I think too many people listen to their CPAs for all their financial advice, right? And yeah. CPAs yeah. are really good at, at certain things, but I found that they're not very good when it comes to how to scale, how to build a business and how to make sure you're getting maximum value for mm -hmm. it. They're good at making sure that you're minimizing your tax liability, but sometimes those two things oppose each other, yeah. right? And the fact that you're taking profit out of your, of your business, it's gonna drive CPAs crazy. <laughs> Because you're like, what are you doing? You're going to increase your tax liability. I yeah. go, I know, but you're, you're missing this point is right. that I don't want to be relying upon this practice for the rest of my life. And it's while it's a cash flow machine right now, I got to make sure I extract a certain percentage so I can set aside over here. And to your point, the only thing that I would do differently is I would physically remove it and take it out and put it in your personal account from liability purposes for a number of reasons. Yeah. But then just make sure okay. that you have that you have a plan of where that money's going to go to invest in cash flow investments. And then yeah. that way over the next, I mean, cause you're a young guy. I mean, you got 10, 15 years, 20 years. Uh, I mean, you should be done with this game in seven to 10 years by doing that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. Cause I, because that's exactly where I'm, where my head is at now. It's like, I keep it in that sort of holding account for a little while. And it makes me feel like I said, th those two emotions, but <clears throat> then the math gets to me, right? Like yeah. it's just a savings account and it's not even, you know, then when I get it to my personal accounts, I've got even a high yield savings account and then it's the investment stuff. Right. So like, yeah, I mean, I appreciate that advice because it kind of affirms what I'm feeling a little bit within yeah. that. The, so the, 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 the interesting part that you brought up about CPAs, we'll come back to that in a second because I wanted yeah. to get to your CPA comment is I love my CPA. I, mm -hmm. I love to also make him feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, so I also have like um, a group of tax attorneys um, and other business, you know, like yourself, business consultants that like, um, and, and I'll be like, well, this is what, this is what we want to do. And here's the tax law and here's the business law. And, and, uh, <laughs> last year he said, Chris, uh, this is, um, he goes, this is risky. And I was mm -hmm. like, I was like, uh, is it illegal? <laughs> That's right. He's like, no, it's not illegal. And, and he just, I could just tell he was, he was uncomfortable. Right. Was like I'm not, I don't want to. Bit. Yes. 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 Like this. Yes. And so, um, but, but I, I love my, my account and I listen to a lot of the things he does and uh, no, no, he didn't say risky. He said aggressive. He said aggressive. Yeah. This is aggressive. And, um, um, but I said, uh, but anyway, the point is, is that, uh, I think you're right. Like, like, I think there is this intuition to ask for your accountant's opinion on yeah. what you should do. And my, and my CPA also owns his, his practice. Um, but, 
his practice isn't my practice and, um, and his business is different than my business. Um, and so I think a lot of times like people will be like, well, can I afford to do this? Or can I afford to buy that? And they listen to their, what their accountant says. And that may not like, to your point, that may not be the best place to only go. Yeah. Sometimes the advice like that is diametrically opposed to what you actually should be doing. Cause that question will get posed a lot. Like, Hey, can I afford to hire another optometrist? Can I afford to buy this piece of equipment? Can I afford to, you know, get this other location? And, and I, I think the, the owner investor, the entrepreneur, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be like, I need to take a risk. Right. And that's going to be, sometimes the numbers aren't necessarily going to justify taking that risk. Right. And you need to just kind of like massage the two, like, you know, is this a calculated risk is, is you know, do I, am I confident in my own abilities to make this go right? And I know my accountant says the numbers, you know, may not add up right now, but I believe in myself. And I know that I know what I'm doing here because I know this business and I know this industry and I understand now after practicing it for, you know, however long you've been practicing it, I can make this go right, you know? Yeah. And that, that, I mean, that's, that's something that you have to sometime negotiate with yourself and do that. And the advice that you get would be contra to that in most cases, because I think a lot of people are fearful of expansion and I don't think you need to be, I think that should be on the forefront of your mind all the time. How can I expand? Well, you, and, and I think that that's the other, that is hard. I mean, that, that mindset is a little bit hard, even as a, as my business, you know, as a business owner for me, I'm like, cause I feel like that. I feel like, well, as a practice, we've got to keep growing. If we're not growing, we're, we're dying. And you can really even see that in, in terms of like, even just this year, I know our, our, if I kept the exact same health insurance and again, I've, I've got a new guy now with our, with our insurance for our team that, uh, for our office insurance that we would provide for our staff is, um, he seems to be a lot more, uh, creative than the guy that we've used for a long time. And I'm, I'm just like, why didn't we, why didn't this other guy get creative? You know, we've had 8% increase in healthcare costs, 10% increase in healthcare costs this year. It's going to be 19% if we stayed with our exact same plan and our exact same, uh, provider. But I've got this other guy who has figured out ways to give give our employees basically the same out of pocket, the same, you know, total cost, but he's become inventive to give other sort of uh, ability like gap coverage ability and those sorts mm -hmm. of things that get them down to effectively from their perspective, it's the same thing. And and we actually have a reduction. And so it's like it's hard as a business owner to know, well, like the guy that I use for a long time. You know, I just trust him that he's gone out to shop other plans, but it's going to be 20% increase. Like if I do business like that, we can't, if we don't grow, we cannot stay in business to your point. No. Yeah. So, but at the same time, it's like, um, if all we're thinking, so, so yeah, you have to do both ends, right? You have to continue to grow, but you also like, um, and invest and take risk. But then, then at some point you're just like, um, you can't just outgrow all those other problems. Uh, so anyway, I don't know. It's, it's true. Uh, I mean, expansion is kind of an interesting thing. You do have to be in a certain condition to expand. And, and I would never expand. Like, I'll give you an example of this. I had someone come to me and they're like, hey, you know, and they had their, their practice, right, was operating at about 50% of its current capacity of what it could, 
what it could do. Number one, I, he didn't even know that. So when I asked him, I'm like, Hey, you know, your, your practice, you know, it's 3000 square foot. You got a couple of exam rooms, you know, what, what is your capacity level that you could, you know, function? And here's another, here's another owner investor, right. Kind of yeah. indicator. Like when I asked someone what it is that your, your practice, like your, what is the biggest expense that you have? Right now, I'll ask you that. Me? I'll ask you that yeah. question because I, I mean, mean I'm it, it, it's it's employees and cost of goods. Those are the right. two two biggest. Yeah. Right. So, and I say that because the the biggest expense that you have is not on your profit and loss statement. The biggest expense that you have is money that you had the opportunity to make mm, and didn't. Fair enough. Right. Yeah. So. So, you know, when you ask someone, Hey, I got this facility that's 3000 square foot, you know, what could you be doing if you were fully staffed, if you had maximum number of patients and your average transaction was in a profitable range? I don't know. I'm like, Hey, you're not treating your practice like an investment because you need to know that number. Cause that's the goal that you're shooting for. So I think it's, it's starting there. And I was, I had a point that I was going to make on that, but that, that to me is like, you know, um, so to go back to the story, this guy was 50% of his current capacity and he's talking about buying another practice down the street. I'm like, dude, mm. like you, I mean, your current facility is not even maximized, right? I mean, you got to yeah. wait until this thing is, is maximized, get it up to at least 80, 90%. Then you can start thinking about expanding, right? But you got yeah. plenty of expansion opportunity here in your current facility. And I don't think a lot of people really look at that. They're like trying to chase the next shiny object. And it's like, no, like look at what your current facility could do, map it all out. And we have some tools that we've helped people with to, to figure that out. It's not hard to do. I mean, you guys no. know your numbers, you know how many people you can see a day, you know what your average transactions are, you know, all the things that, that just map it out Yep. and you'd be surprised. You'd be like, wow, I can probably do about $2 million out of this thing. And I'm doing 1.5. I got five hundred thousand yeah. dollars more to go, so yeah. I mean that's that to me is owner investor mindset right there. Yeah, I see that all the time. So I, I see what you're talking about is I see that all the time where, <clears throat> you know, this um, underperformance and 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 not and actually not even underperformance, but it's it's more to your point is it is knowable. Like those mm -hmm. things are yeah. knowable, uh, and you just have to do a little bit of math to get to those things. Yeah, it's not hard. And I think, and I think that is the job of an owner investor. So to go back to what your you know original question was, like, how do I know if I'm an owner investor, right? I, you know, you're, you're looking at the value of your practice, how to increase its capacity, how to increase its, I mean, these things are on your mind, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just, I'm thinking about case management. I'm thinking about these other things as well. Yeah. And, you know, and I think the third thing would be, you know, how, how, well of a leader you are and getting people to buy into the purpose of the organization. I think that's a very, very important role of an owner as well, you know, and, and, and not like not accepting mediocrity, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. I think that's the, I think that's the one that I struggle the most with is um, maybe not. Yeah. I'd say struggle. It's just, you know, I want my people to be happy, right? Like I want yeah. my, I mean, I want, cause I know that if we have a good team that's happy and is committed to the, the office, then that's going to translate into better patient care. Mm -hmm. And so I think I do worry, like I do think about that a lot more. Um, but, but at the same time, um, 
I don't know how much is healthy to think about because then there's this other point that you look at other other companies like for example um my associate doctor her husband had to he works for a huge corporation and he had to he's in hr and he had to lay a bunch of people off um recently oh and he's had to do that over the last few years and you know he reads a statement and he doesn't deviate from that statement and probably nobody's that upset at him maybe they're a little bit upset at him but really they understand that it's this corporation that's doing it and the corporation is doing it and they're not um they're not really a individual human but in my office if i've got to let somebody go or if i have to yeah. make a, a business decision that impacts my staff um like it's not it's not exclusively I care that made that business decision, right? It's Chris Wolf that made the business decision. And I was the, I'm the guy that's going to have to like, uh, bear the brunt of that, uh, the ramifications of that. So I think that gives a lot of us as business owners, um, individual business owners, small business owners, a little bit more pause. Am I accurate about that? Or is that just me? Oh, no, I, there, there are plenty of people who have employees working for them that, um, are either covertly or overtly mm. um, counterintending the purpose of the organization. And, and a lot of people just can't confront getting rid of mm. that person for a number of reasons. Number one, they think the work would then um, overwhelm the rest of the staff. And um, number two, they just can't confront like someone doing this, something like that to them. Right. And uh, I try to tell people in a number of cases, I would rather have nobody doing a post or a job than an incompetent person doing that job. They're much more destructive than nobody doing it. Hmm. And, uh, so, but that's the hardest thing to do, but it also creates a miracle because I, anytime that you've gotten rid of someone that is toxic or, that is, oh, yeah. you know, destructively to the group. I mean, your stats just start going through the roof after that. And everyone seems happy. And actually what ends up happening is the work does get absorbed by everyone else because they're just so damn happy that that person's out of the office. Yeah. So yeah. I know it's a tough thing, but this is the reality of when you have, you know, I mean, most private practice owners are 10, 12, 15 employees, maybe less, maybe a little bit more. But, um, so you're right. It is, you know, it is on you, it, but, uh, you know, it, it is one of those things that, and again, this is why you need to pay yourself correctly because right. these are some of the things you have to deal with that nobody else does. You made a comment. So I'm 42. Um, and, you know, and I've, I've said since I've been out of school that I wanted to be able to retire by 55, that number has gotten smaller. You know, I, I, uh, and so it's interesting to me that you said earlier on in the conversation, of what number the, is that? My age, my age oh. has gotten the, the, the number that I want to be able to retire has gotten smaller. I, I'm not going to retire. I, I have, I would be shocked if I, at I was going to say, yeah, I, I mean, at 50, I would be shocked if I was going to be like, I'm done. Uh, but to be able to is a different, is a different thing. Right. And, um, cause I, I mean, I, I really do. I've said this on the podcast. I mean, numerous times I love what I do. I love seeing patients. I love doing this kind of stuff. I love consulting for other, uh, practices. I like developing new content, um, and delivering it for, for the subscribers. And I don't envision that I'll do that, um, in 
you know, that, that I won't like to do that in 10 years. You know, I, I maybe it may look differently. It may, but I just, I think I like that stuff. I like doing it. My, my question to you is you said, if I'm doing, if I am a business, uh, if I'm an owner investor and I'm doing it well, then I might have seven to 10 years. You said 10 years, maybe seven years, you should be out of the game or you maybe, maybe you meant you could be out of the game. Could be out of the game. Well, Explain to the to the listeners because people are thinking, forty two years old, uh, he fit retire at fifty, be able to be out of the game at fifty. How does that work? How do you see that working with most um, owner investors? Yeah, I mean, and when I say that, look, I mean there is an ideal financial scene that I think everyone needs to to apply to themselves. Like, what is it that you want your life to look like? Um, and you know, everyone's numbers going to be a little bit different, you know, in terms of like how much you need, I will say that I think most people underestimate how much that they need. And that is something that you have to, you know, cause we have taxes, we have inflation and those things aren't going away and the values of the dollar keeps going, you know, so I, I'd be very cautious to sell a practice at this point in time, just because it's such a massive cash flow machine and you're, you're never going to get, you know, the same amount that you earn from the practice on the sale proceeds, not even close. So, um, but I, I'm, I'm really just talking about uh, saying, you know, in seven to 10 years, if, if you are like we talked about taking that 10% mm -hmm. off the top and your practice is growing and profitable and viable, then there's no reason in that time frame you should, you should have all your personal debt should be paid off. Not your, not your business debt or building debt if you have real estate and all that. Um, you know, your practice should have a high high value. Uh, you should have plenty of reserves at that point in time that could pay for your basic lifestyle that you needed. And you you should have at that point in time, you know, time to do all the things that you want to do. Now, you, now you're kind of like an owner practitioner because you still like to practice, mm -hmm. right? And that's fine. You know, I mean, I'm sure you probably have a, hired an office manager or an executive in there that can help run some other things. So mm -hmm. that frees up your time to just focus on those two activities right there. Okay. Some people want to get out of practicing, so they need to make sure that they hire really good practitioners and train them and be more owner executives. Okay. And the, you can be whatever you want to be, just know yourself, you know, and I think that's, that's the key, but you know, in, in, as far as turning that into financial independence, you know, or financial security or whatever, you know, word you want to use. Um, it's the habits of what we just talked about getting these things, getting these accounts set in place, making sure that you're separating the money out of the business account, making sure that you're investing that money properly and that you're, you know, you're forging a life that you want to live, you know, and everyone's going to be different. Um, you know, some people need $10 million. Some people need $5 million. Some people need $25 million, you know, <laughs> It's really up to you but i i i would think that you know you'd want to have a life where you would never had a concern about money at all you know how much that is could be different for everybody the most common questions i get include what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should i use what icd 10 codes do i need to bill with this cpt code what cpt codes can be billed together and what can't and my favorite 
how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you you touch on the probably the last point that I'll bring up <clears throat> is just that, and Adam Schmiel and I have talked about this a ton, is just, um, like you said, it, it the practice allows you a lifestyle. Some of that is financial. Some of it is money. And, and I think that's the obvious one everybody thinks about. But the other is, I mean, if I sell the PE, if I sell the PE tomorrow or in a month, I'm not seeing patients three days a week for them. I'm going to see patients five or six days a week for them. Uh, and I, I'm definitely not getting out of, um, and if I want a day off in the summer because my kids got to do something or I want to attend a, a, a meet right now, I'm beholden to the 20 patients on my schedule that, um, that we're going to have to, to reschedule. But, um, but then it's like, nope, you can't have that day off, Chris, you, you don't get, you don't get that opportunity if I'm, if I don't own my practice. Um, and so, and there's all sorts of things that flow from that, that, um, yeah, that that are just intangible in a lot of ways. I don't see a lot of people after they sell to private equity last very long mm -hmm. at the practice after that. I mean, a lot of them may sign like one or two year employment contracts, but honestly, most of them that I've seen are out of there in like six months, eight months, you know, unless, you unless know, they, they have to because it's they, part like, of it, their. Yeah. 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 They have a, some kind of an earn out or they have to make sure that which would be terrible. Like, can you imagine like. Now I have to continue to run this thing and act like an owner, but I'm really not. And I have to keep the profit margins up and I really don't want to be here in the first place. Like, oh, that would be terrible. I so know. don't do earnouts. Anybody, please don't do them. Those are, I mean, they're great for the the buyer. They're terrible, terrible for the, the seller. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think, you know, to your point, all those things are things you have to take into consideration, you know, before you decide that you want to exit out and um it's it, it is a it is a tough thing but uh you know it just proper planning and and certainty on your finances i think can help make good decisions on that yeah well listen i got i got a ton more to talk to you about so we'll just do this on a follow up you know we could do another uh, another well I'll, I'll probably even just schedule this so so it's on top of mind and we'll just do a follow-up conversation about all sorts of other things. Um, I've got, yeah. I've got discussion. I'm building a building and I, I want to pick your brain about, um, yeah. with, if that was a smart decision or not a smart decision. Oh, I love uh, it. yeah, thanks. I love it. Yeah. I think it's a great, yeah. I think it's a great idea, especially if, um, 
man, I mean, building buildings for healthcare businesses right now. I mean, I bet you the moment that thing's up, you're going to get a call from another private mm. equity group that specializes mm. in um, healthcare buildings. And mm, they'll probably say, hey, you know, can we'll, we'll buy your building from you because you know, mm. they're trying to do the same thing. And because uh, the leases are great, you know, so it, yeah, if you're if you're all in on that, dude, all in. Plus, you're going to get an awesome tax benefit once the thing's built. Yeah. You know, OK. And yeah, uh, I mean, so. my my accountant was excited about that. You know, he he was the, the comment I'm talking to you about that where, where he said risky or aggressive was related to was related to the building, you know, and, and just the financial aspects of it. But he was like on the on the other side, Chris, uh, you know, do X, Y and Z, start another corporation and we're, and, and it's going to have a, a additional benefits just as you're talking about. Um, but you know what, what the last point about that, cause I do want to dive deeper in this, but, I, um, now that I'm thinking about it is I, about a year ago, I did a whole, um, deep dive into like where the money actually goes in private equity. And one of those things, there's a big story on private equity purchasing, um, hospitals mm -hmm. and how they were basically just, I mean, they just suck wealth out of the business. And one of the things that they were sucking the wealth out of was the property. So they, they basically were uh, owning the property and then they jack up the rents on the property to maximize what they're pulling out of that uh, tenant, which is the hospital. And then now this property has all these other benefits that they are getting and, and pulling wealth out of it. It was just, it was just start. I have to go back and, and re look at some of that information before that next conversation. But I was just like, man, this is unbelievable. They, they, they know how to take money. I mean, hate them or not. I mean, they do understand that part of it that I wish a lot of other practice owners did. And you just try to mirror some of the successful things that they do and then ignore the other things that they do. You know, the only thing I hate about private equity is that they like, they have a story that, you know, we're not going to treat your practice any different. We're going to leave you alone. Our job, we want to see you grow. And I'm like, no, you don't, you don't, you guys don't care. You guys just want to create this big ball of EBITDA at some point in time. So you can recap and flip it somewhere else. Uh, you know, scorpions, a scorpion, you know, and that's not, that's not going to change. So, you know, I guess I'm a little jaded just because I hear so many people saying, well, this is a different type of private equity group. <laughs> I know, like, I know. Please explain their business model to me. They're like, well, this is what they <laughs> want to do. I'm like, okay, well, they are private equity. This is what they're going to do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I, and it's not just optometry. I've heard it from people who have sold yeah. to private equity and, and every single other entity. And, and it's fine. I, I understand the doctor that, that has, yeah. that, that's in that position and does it, but you got to know what you're getting into. How, um, how, a quick question. Like how, yeah. how do you envision you exiting out? And like, if, and if I asked you that, because let's say you had plenty of money and you're going to have this, you're going to have, you know, with the building, with all the, you know, with what you have going on with the podcast, um, with, uh, you know, you're putting away your profit account and all these other things. Yeah. You're going to have plenty of money set aside that the sale proceeds are just going to be a, a kind of a cherry on top. Okay. Um, so that being said, do, you know, if you, if you, if money wasn't an issue, how would you want to transition out? I feel like I'm doing, well, I, that's right what I, that's, I think that's the key is I hope that money that by the time I'm 50 or 55 money, isn't an issue. And, uh, and the sale of my practice is cherry on top. And I think then, then that allows me to, uh, transition that practice to a younger, a younger doctor 
maybe it's my current associate, maybe it's my current associate and one of my kids or, yeah. you know, another associate um, that uh, where I can receive some financial benefit from it, but ultimately they're in, in a very good financial spot where they're, they can make that, um, that payment for the loan they have to take out to, to buy me out, but it's not exorbitant. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's, it's manageable for them. They're on good footing. They can keep delivering, uh, eye care to our community without being financially strapped. That's what I hope. Uh, and, and that's why if I do these things the right way, then I can be selective on, you know, on, uh, on that transition. And I don't, and I'm not stuck by saying, so only I, it's the only person that can afford my practice because because the reality is right now, Eric, is that um, we we generate a lot of revenue, you know, yeah. as a practice, and and um, and it would be very hard for somebody to come in and write the check uh, to purchase that outside of private equity. Yeah. But if I don't have to worry about that amount, I can I can give a little on it uh, or a lot. Then um, then maybe that's bad business, but. Uh, I think that's that that allows the the next generation to to keep doing what they want to do. No, that's keep actually that's actually thinking besides like um, about just yourself, which I think when you start looking at how you transition out of your practice, it just cannot be how much money am I going to get? Is it good? for the employees? Is it good for the community? Is it good for the patients? And is it good for the next owner? And that is where you're starting to think like a little bit more, um, you know, outside of just the, the bubble of yourself. Mm. And I think that's an important thing to do for every owner when they're thinking about selling. So Thanks. you should write down that you should write, you should write that down a piece of paper, exactly how you want to exit out. Right. And then I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk before 10 years from now, but, um, in 10 years, I would be interested to see, like, when you do transition out, we're going to pull out that piece of paper and you're going to be like, dang, check mark the box on all those things. Didn't I? I was yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. You know, I got to do gotta that. Yep. Get it out of your head. Get it on a piece of paper. That's pretty successful. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, well, buddy. Well, Eric, Eric Miller, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, we will have you back on. Where can people find you uh, if they want to reach out and pick your brain and, and use your services uh, for their personal goals? You can just go to wealthforpracticeowners.com, wealthforpracticeowners.com. And um, that'll take you to, you know, a landing page. Uh, we have financial assessments. We have, you know, a lot of data on our website. And, um, and we actually have a pretty cool uh, assessment that you can take that will like a, give you a, a score of your current finances, like a credit score um, that, you know, is a good gauge to where you stand right now. At least gives you a, a, you know, something that you can say, okay, this is areas that I need to improve on, you know, whether it's debt and credit or estate planning or taxes or investments or business viability, you know, we, we kind of break all that down and give you a really cool score so you can, you know, utilize that to make yourself better. Awesome. Thanks so much. 